This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. New Bedford Light columnist Jack Spillane back with us this week. Jack makes periodic visits uh, to this program to discuss the news of the day. Uh, You can check out Jack's columns and much more news about New Bedford at newbedfordlight.org. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Jim. The Ward 3 preliminary election was held this past week. The two top vote-getters were Sean Oliver and Carmen Amaral. Uh, Sean, a corrections officer. Ms. Amaral is an education administrator. Uh, two very different backgrounds, but two people, I guess, who work pretty hard to uh, get the top two spots. Yes, I, I was just so impressed by this special election in the middle of winter in Ward 3. Usually those are very sleepy affairs, as you know. And we had seven candidates come out. And there were seven serious candidates. Um, They had different resources and different levels of ability to campaign hard, I think. But they were all serious people who had serious ideas about the ward. And I I thought it was a terrific race. And and these are the two people that won. Um, Can you tell us something about these people? You spent some time with all of the candidates, and you spent some time with these two as well. I did. I I really got into it. I took an hour-long walk with each one of them. And all of them live in slightly different sections of the ward, which anybody familiar with New Bedford knows is the midsection of New Bedford. Hathaway Road is sort of the main thoroughfare of Ward 3. And um, so I took a walk with all of them. Uh, let me tell you, I start with Sean. Sean Oliver is a very interesting guy, a very um, charismatic guy in a way, a, a big personality. He works as a corrections officer uh, for the state prison in Walpole. He um, has worked as a salesman, and you can tell that. He's, he's very good. Um, uh, interesting guy, family man, uh, lives in that, in that single family, um, neighborhood just off of, um, Durfee street, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talked about the issues that other people talked about, but he did a lot of door to door campaigning. And we recently saw this with Sheriff Harrow that that, if you really have the time for it and you, and you, and you really put yourself into it, it can really help. I noticed that he had campaign signs, campaigns don't vote, signs don't vote, but they say something. And he had them outside of his own neighborhood. Um, so he was an interesting candidate, and I'll talk about Common Amaral now. Sure. Uh, Common was also very, very interesting, uh, uh, a former teacher, uh, and uh, has a science background. Uh, she worked as a researcher for a while, um, a child of immigrants. She um, came to this country when she was four years old, grew up in a... Uh, a home where her parents did not speak virtually any English in the triple-decker neighborhoods near Madeira Field, made a big success of herself, became a teacher, and then became an educational administrator. Uh, she is the academic coordinator for Old Colony Regional Vocational School in Rochester. Big job. Um, she has been an advocate her whole life. She worked uh, for her mother. Uh, her mother uh, got cancer when Common was... I think in her teens, or, or, or very young, maybe mm-hmm. 13, 14. And because her mother didn't speak English, um, she became her mother's advocate with the medical community. So from a very early age, she's been sort of an advocate you know, uh, for people, working with people with various problems. And um, she uh, thinks she can do something for Ward 3. We have often described Ward 3 as the sleepiest ward in the city. And I think the voter turnout... Uh, proved us right once again. Uh, the turnout was very small. Uh, you know, the two top finishers, 
finished with less than 200 votes, well under 200 votes uh, apiece. And, uh, um, you know, they weren't particularly close to the other candidate. You know, the other candidates weren't particularly close. Uh, These two won a fairly decisive, uh, you know, margin. They had a fairly decisive victory margin. But uh, the fact is the turnout was low once again in New Bedford. Um, in this case, Jim, I, I will say that it was a special election in the middle of, Jan- middle of J- in the end of January. Mm-hmm. Um, the nearest I could find to compare it to was a special election also in Ward Three, five years ago when Henry Bousquet left and Hugh Dunn won, won, won that race, um, and that was also a special election. That time, six candidates. It was in late March, so the weather a little better, and that one you only had seven point five percent. So that made me think that that's what you get in special elections at this stage, 7.5%, 6.5%. So we went back a little further, and I found one in 2008 when Kathy Daner won a special election, also in Ward 3. They've had a succession of councilors in that ward, which is part of the problem, I think, um, of why people are feeling that they're not getting services. Um, and in that race, they didn't have a, fa- a preliminary. They only, they only had two candidates, and they had a 14% turnout, and that's in 2008. So that shows you between 2008 in 2017, you have a fall off in voting, even in a special election. Now, 14% is not great, but it's, it's better than 7%. 7% is better than 6%. Sure. But we're, we're headed in the wrong direction. Uh, yeah. Um, what do Oliver and Amaral have to do to win? Have you thought about that? Well, I, I, I thought about it a little bit. I, you know, I don't, I'm not a campaign manager, so I, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I, I think that um, it's going to be very competitive. Of the candidates in the race, I would say these are the two most progressive candidates in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Amaral has made close associations with save, the Coalition to Save Our Schools, which was active um, mobilizing against ch- uh, further expansion of charter schools in New Bedford. Um, uh, Oliver uh, uh, grew up in New Bedford playing SEYAA baseball and very concerned about the parks. And um, he... Uh, he has a special needs child, and he, he said that having that special needs child has allowed him to be sensitive to the services, and um, both from the standpoint of the contract of the educators that have been advocating for a better contract, mm-hmm. and also from the needs of you know advocating for your child so it doesn't uh, fall through the cracks. He um, came out in favor of Carol Pimentel being vo- voted on the vote tech, which was a very close vote on the school committee. On the, on the city council for the Vogue Tech School Committee. So these are, are candidates that are, are slightly on the progressive side, I would say. Um, you mentioned Carol Pimentel. By the way, the final election is February is it 28th, 28th. 28th. February 28th is the final in Ward 3. If you live in Ward 3, uh, mark it down. Save the date. That's right. Get out it's, and in a way, this has been a race where it's given Ward 3 attention that it never gets in a citywide election. That's true. So good for Ward 3. Um, you mentioned Carol Pimentel. The appointment to the Greater New Bedford Votech School Board was shot down by the city council. Close vote, but nonetheless, it was shot down. I'm not really sure why. A lot of speculation as to why that happened. But she is a graduate. She has all the educational credentials. She supports inclusion, favors more English as second language students enrolled at Voc Tech. But as I understand it, she is willing to listen 
and compromise. Um, what is the problem here? I, I, I was astonished by this vote. Um, I've known Carol virtually for the whole uh, two decades that I've been in New Bedford, mm-hmm. and um, she's certainly qualified. She's certainly um, an active member of the community. She serves on the EDC. She serves on the New Bedford Redevelopment Authority, um, an accountant by trade, long time worked at UMass Dartmouth, uh, uh, a Cape Verdean woman, Cla- qualified in every respect. Uh, the fact that she lost that five to four vote, I thought was astonishing. But keep in mind, they also voted against Jack Livermento, who uh, all, is a, on a school committee member, also an accomplished person. Um, uh, in both cases, they brought up the you know the, the support of, of these candidates for a lottery system at um, okay. the Votech. Now, Votech is one of seven schools throughout the state, regional vocational schools, that is under orders from the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education to change its admission policies so that more English language learners and more disabled students are admitted. Um, they have instituted a small lottery. They have made some changes, but the groups that are advocating say that they, they need to go further. Uh, among those saying that they need to go further is Mayor John Mitchell. Um, the counselors who spoke, and not all, some of them who voted against her did not even speak, which I objected to. I think if you're going to uh, vote against someone who's a qualified person, you ought to state, you know, this is not a person who is corrupt or obviously not qualified. Um, the counselors who spoke, uh, I'll give them credit, that, that was Councilor Morad, Councilor Pereira, and I think Councilor Carney, all brought up the lottery and said that, that, that they felt that it would make Voctech worse. Well, that's kind of a, a, a negative view of these students that, that might come in, mm-hmm. you know, and Cal Pimentel told them so. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, uh, it's coming. Change is yeah. coming here. Yeah. You know, the old way of doing things, uh, that's going to change. Yeah. The, the state is wants more inclusion, and uh, they're going to get it. So in the past, Votech has used grades, uh, uh, discipline record, and, and attendance record as among their criteria, along with the recommendation from the guidance counselor. The state has told them to eliminate um, excused absences and um, minor disciplinary problems. And uh, Counselor Pereira even said that he thought that they should put less emphasis on grades. I think it's A through C's you ought to have. But there are some vocational-minded students who are not academic who don't even have C's. And you might want to, cons- traditionally, you would consider those kids for the vote tech. Um, uh, part of the problem is in, in a city like New Bedford, maybe you need two vocational um, high schools. I've, I've written about that in the past. Now New Bedford shares a school with Dartmouth and Fairhaven, so there are less seats to get. But they've got to solve this problem somehow. You're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. My guest is Jack Spillane, columnist for the online newspaper New Bedford Light. You can check it out anytime at newbedfordlight.org. When we last uh, talked, the city council had approved significant raises for certain department heads. Two weeks later, cooler heads seemed to prevail. The enormous raises, some forty or fifty thousand uh, dollars, were rescinded, and a more reasonable package of raises was submitted. What was that all about? Community reaction. I think it definitely was com- community reaction. You yeah. very rarely see the city council reverse itself um, in this manner. Um, people have been calling them raises for shorthand. Uh, technically, I should say that they were reclassifications right. of salaries that involved 
changing the pay, the, the grades that people were ranked at, and also changing the steps for longevity. Um, what happened was the personnel director recommended things to bring the Bedford salaries in line for management employees that were in the 10 to 12% range. And uh, the council came up with a formula. They said it was not based on personalities. I'm a little bit skeptical of that. But even if you take them at their word, they based it on if your title was director or assistant director, you, you got the same kind, of, you should be in the same category. Well, some directors have 125 people under them, and some directors have one person under them. Some have enormous responsibilities, some less so. And so um, there was an outcry from the public. Um, the personnel director warned them that there were um, seven or eight salaries that were really out of whack. And they were out of whack because uh, the council voted to increase the grades by like five and six levels when the mayor only wanted to increase them by one or two levels and increase the step, steps for the long-term employees. So you had two employees that uh, Judith Keating warned them. This is 52% and 51% above the state median. And then there were about five or six other employees that were between 30 and 42% above the state median. They brought it down to 25%. Some people who objected to it say that's still too high. Um, I can see rewarding people for longevity. I don't know to the tune of 25%. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty big increase all yeah. at once. Um, so have the more, the more reasonable package, has that been approved? So the, the, the 25% has been approved, but I think it may, this was all done at a second reading. Yeah. So I don't know whether it has to come back again. Of course, the mayor has now said that 25% is still too much, and he wants to use this occasion to take a look at other things, including the 10% penalty that um, new city employees get if they don't live in the city, yeah. which he feels really hurts the city when it's very, very high-level positions like chief financial officer, head of public infrastructure, those are people that are very employable in the private sector and telling them right in the door, yeah, if you don't live in the city, we're going to penalize you by 10%. He feels strongly that he wants the council to look at that again. Whether they will or not, I don't know. The last time we talked, Bristol County Sheriff Paul Hero said he wanted to study the operations of the Ash Street Jail before making any decisions about its future. Boom, two weeks later, he announced the, the place or he had plans to close the Ash Street Jail. Surprised? It, it was I was what, surprised. It was what is called a quick study. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, the, the, the um, uh, sheriff took him around on a tour. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he did take a much more moderate approach during the campaign. Um, he says he's seen it now. He thinks that there is a possibility to um, reconfigure the ICE detention center so that you have individual yeah. cells. That's, that's the big thing is that um, Astrid has the ability to house individual cell people, and, and he maybe he can do that if he can get the money uh, from the state to reconfigure Astrid that That's that not going to be quick, though. I don't no, think. it's not going to be quick, and maybe that's why he's starting it, because he knows it won't be quick. Um, I think it's fair to say that, that his study was um, a lot briefer than many people <laughs> had. I don't want to say it didn't take place, but, but, but it was a quick study. I wonder. It sounded like you got a phone call from a donor. Suggesting, hey, well, maybe more than a, more than one. Yeah, I, I should say that uh, there are good arguments to close Ash Street. Yeah, um, of course. Uh, it, it, it's the oldest jail facility in the country. There is a problem with uh, New Bedford needing to locate some place to lock up people because um, uh, the renovated supermarket where they're now located doesn't have that ability. So sure. they, 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 they've talked about it long range, but they'll have to solve that problem. Jack Spillane, once again, a columnist for New Bedford Light online newspaper. Uh, at newbedfordlight.org. 
has been my guest today. Jack, thanks for coming in. Always interesting. Always a lot of fun. All right. Town Square Sunday will continue in just a moment.